0: Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc and I am joined again by Andrea Lipinski and Patty Bianco. And we are wrapping up our conversation on the human condition with a few questions uh, by St. Basil. Uh, How are y'all today? It's good to see you.
1: Doing well. Thanks, Brandon. I'm glad to be here with each of you.
0: Y'all have been keeping up with the Cersei news. You know that that, uh, there are new digs there in North Carolina, so uh, Patty is uh, contending with the repairs going on, where they're moved in, but but fixing the place up. So it's a it's a busy time at the Cersei office.
2: Sure is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I just will take a, take an opportunity. I know Andrew posted something maybe a week or so ago about how how the fundraising to help with those that move in and, and and updating of the building is going, and so it's going really well. Thank you to everybody out there who's been supporting that. Uh, if you've been around Cersei for any amount of time, you know this has been a long term need and desire and goal to to get moved into a space that was a little bit more uh, usable and permanent and uh, could, we could grow in. And so uh, thank you, everybody, for supporting that as well.
1: I concur. Thank you.
0: Well, this is our, uh, our Q&A time. Um, so let's open it up and let one of you guys hop in if you had something you wanted to, to ask first before we dig into what I've got here.
1: Yeah. This, I I don't know, Brandon, you can tell me, do I say this every time how much I enjoy the (laughs) book I'm on, um, but this one, this one ranks pretty high. And so I would appreciate hearing, um, from each of us, like either a a blue, you know, that you've continued to sit with or one that something that you're like, I, that was interesting to me. And I'm going to need to think about that some more.
0: Yeah. I mean, hopefully with overdue classics, I, I think you and I, and, uh, have said a couple of times, like a lot of these really are overdue classics for us. Like we've never read them and hopefully that's, our, you know, we're helping that with the audience too. And so hopefully every time it is like, Man, I'm really enjoying this, you know, this classic. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, this one definitely, I think, uh, had a lot of depth and it's really one that's been missing from English speaking world for, for forever. Really. If you did, if you couldn't read the Greek, you couldn't read this. And so, um, until, until the last few decades. <laughs> and so, um, Hopefully it's new to a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people are saying, wow, this where has this been? You know, we could have used this. That's how I felt anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll start. One of the things that I've been sitting with um, is just a, another way to understand this. And the, the first homily, I think it's called On the Origin of Humanity, Discourse One, on that which is according to the image. He gets to Section 9, well, before that, but he's, yeah, in, in Section eight, he says, First, the power to rule was conferred on you. Oh, human, you are a ruling being. Right? Like, And then in 9, he goes on to talk about how this power to rule is innate in us. Yeah, he says it at the end. Thus, everywhere the power to rule given by the creator is innate in the human. Therefore, swordfish and hammerhead sharks and whales and sawfish and cowfish and all those called fearful among aquatic beasts have come to be subject to humans. Um, so thinking about how we teach and that um to recognize if innate in us is this um part of our being is to rule I appreciate what Andrew has taught us in that um when we're raising our children give them non Um, living things to rule first such as their toys inside of their room and then increase their level of uh, rule ruling or dominion um, with a plant because if they don't water it it will die and typically nobody in the house is going to cry over that before you increase the dominion to animals Um, where I had a very good friend who she went away for a week of summer camp asked her brother to take care of her hamster her brother never fed or watered it so she came home to a dead Yikes. oh yeah right and so um while this is innate in us uh the desire for it and the ability to do it i i still because of what i've seen in children i still think it needs to be cultivated so i found that interesting um here so that that's what i'm pondering hmm. You know, uh, when we get through, when we teach my medically, we recognize at the end that whatever this new skill is that we've taught our student, it's an area for them to rule. Yeah. And we know they have it. They have dominion over whether or not they will use it. Will they properly use um, a colon? Will they uh, write with parallel phrases, clauses, and words whenever three or more things are listed, right? That's up to them once they have the skill. I'm yeah. to Rick, that's what we're doing we're growing their dominion and ability to rule in our lessons
0: yeah. as you were talking as you were talking a minute ago i was thinking of that exact thing like how uh, i know it's been an emphasis for for cersei and for andrew uh last several years especially to communicate that how the importance of um that kind of crowning and mitering as these especially in the my medic anything teaching my medically that they um they know they we're we're speaking this truth to them, right? The same way we're raising, see, receiving it from Saint Basil right now. That we're we are speaking that to students, especially that listen. This is yours now to to rule and to use and you know hopefully use well, right? But that's your responsibility now. So, yeah, I think I mentioned um, that I had been using the orange this time around in our highlighting system to mark things like I need to think about that more. I want to think about that more. Do I you know? Um and really one of the big ones that jumped out to me early on was in the that second uh discourse too
1: um
0: mm-hmm. when the what he talks about and he talks about fill the earth, um it's in let's see, uh right toward the end of section five. Yeah. It says, Multiply this blessing pertains to the church, let the let the theology not be circumscribed in one person, but let the gospel of salvation be proclaimed to all all the earth. Multiply? Who? And then he says, those engendered according to the gospel. And he says, fill the earth, fill the flesh, fill the flesh which has been given you for serving through good works. Let the eye be filled with seeing duties. Let the hand be filled with good works. May the feet stand ready to visit the sick, journeying to fitting things. Let every usage of our limbs be filled with the actions according to the commandments. This is to fill the earth and it's just not a way that i've heard that that taught before not that the other way is wrong right the, the 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 filling but with with children and with um good you know uh creating things and and building buildings and making art and all those things are all uh, ways we fill the earth as well but mm-hmm. um in this particular homily he's talking so much about the um he's talking about the Likeness in Genesis, and that that's being like Christ. But that this feeling is is really good works, or or um yeah, good works. It's filling the earth with acts of service, essentially
1: oh, um, bodily action.
0: Yeah, yeah, bodily action, but not, but not, not with like like produce, like not to produce, you know, right right no grain or like I said before, buildings or art, but like works of of doing good works for other people, mm. um, so that was what I really wanted to sit with some more. Uh, that understanding of filling the earth.
2: That seems to tie with what we read in the rules section last week with the commandments and you know loving our neighbor mm. and how love is the fulfillment of all the commandments. Right? If we go out and do all those works with our feet, with our body. We're doing it for others.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I went right to answer question three. For nothing is so proper to our nature as to share our lives with each other and to need each other and to love our own kind. That was one of my blues. I don't know where you were headed though, Patty.
2: I just was seeing that thread. I think for me this morning, I was looking um, back at Discourse 1 Mm -hmm. where he mentions um, that our mind does not see itself otherwise than by examining the scriptures. For the light reflected there becomes the cause of vision for each of us. Since we are without understanding, we do not scrutinize our own structure. We are ignorant of what we are Mm -hmm. and why we are. Hmm. And um, there's another section there. Um, section seven, he says, for I am what concerns the inner human being, The, the outer being are not me, but mine, for I am not the hand, but I am the rational part of the soul. And the hand is a limb of the human being. Therefore the body is an instrument of the human being, an instrument of the soul. And the human being is principally the soul in itself. Those are more just things to think on. I don't know. (laughs) that.
1: But like, so where you started us was that um, we are without understanding, right? We don't scrutinize our own structure. We're ignorant of what we are and why we are. And I think then he's answering that. Hmm. So one of the things he's just told us, if you read the next line, there is, um, you know, let us make the human being according to our image. That is, let us give him the superiority of reason. So that's part of knowing um, what we are. We, we are beings with a superiority of reason. And then he says in there that we're not so much our hands and our, our other limbs, um, but the human being is principally the soul in itself. And so he's trying to, I, I think that's what he's doing here is answering that very thing. And then, because he goes right from there, that we're made to rule. So that's mm-hmm. an understanding of what we are. Um, right is that because the the human he says is a soul with superior reason um, then he tells us that we're made to rule
2: we're just yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense because back in section one he said you know he talks about we're without understanding and the end of that not possessing things within reach of our knowledge Knowledge of the smallest aspects of what is in us, and he goes on to talk about our body and looking at um, us looking within, right? Our body and understanding, you, get,
1: you know, our creator,
2: our fashioner right, to understand the fashioner, mm-hmm. and so what makes us different that reason that body it's just it's just interesting that it it's um knowledge that we don't necessarily always we don't possess
1: it but it seems to be that we can Mm. Mm. right which is why i think it is so so phenomenal so i recently did a workshop um in my medic teaching the whole day that's all we did together and the the teachers and there wasn't just teachers there there were um people present who just wanted to learn And they weren't teachers. And so they were fascinated at how people learn. When I said, this is how people learn. So we teach according to how they learn. Um, This idea at the end of the lesson, when I shared, okay, right. You know how to do this. It's yours. Um, Do with it as you wish. Whoa. We had to have all kinds of conversation because that's understanding of who we are as humans. Right. And that's what he's getting at. And we don't recognize, we don't know this about ourselves. And so... Uh, oftentimes story is about, you know, we find out what normal is in the beginning of the story, what the status quo is. Something goes wrong. Somebody wants something, somebody desires something, and they can't get it or have it. And then we got to go figure out how they get it, right? There's the journey and the resolution. But the identification of what it is you want or need has to happen, um, what you're lacking. And so I, I love that he's taking us to say, you need to know yourself right? You don't have to desire dominion actually. It's innate in you. You don't have to go pine for it or create it falsely or dominate yourself over people inappropriately, right? Use it in inappropriate spots. It's actually a part of you. And if we go all the way to the mm-hmm. letters like you took us, Patty, it can it's to be used through your body, through acts of service to love others.
0: Hmm. That's really good.
2: Yeah, it, it- in section 8 at the end there where you were talking about the ruling mm-hmm. it says let us make the human being and let him rule where the power to rule is there is the image of god so thinking about your your teaching and understanding how we learn right there's there's all that that similarity and i think he pointed to that right that we we all have the image of god as human beings, right? So we're all rulers, and how to bring that out.
1: And I think it's a beautiful thing to see it that way. Um, that when the when we rule, the image of God is present. And how many different places do we try to distort the image of God? Or it, you know, we don't try to, um, but the spiritual forces of darkness do. And so, yeah, ruling is going to be um, happening within a broken world. I think about, like, you know, what what does it mean for a father and a mother to rule their kingdom with their children? Um, It can be done well. There can also be familial abuse. Yeah. That's what I liked in
2: the top of Section 8. He says, for the passions are not included in the image of God. But the reason is master of the passions mm. right and so he went on to tell us about anger and those types of things that these passions if we can control them right if we're attentive to ourselves to recognize that yeah. and re- remember that we are we are dust <laughs> mm.
1: we're a worm Right. But in every time that I I think, test t- help me, is this possible? That every time I learn how to rule something, I become a better ruler. And therefore, I ought to be able to also rule my passions better, right? To be able to, but, I, you know, like, is that, that's, that's where I'm pondering. I think so. Even with the good works, right? I,
2: I have to start somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. I may not do it. I might have to start small. I think even with children, right, teaching them to sort through their toys, right, and give some of them away mm. helps them practice that ruling over their little kingdom, right? But we also need to give to those who are in need. We don't, you know, need to keep all this for ourselves. And in a way, that's training our passions.
1: Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Patty. Hmm. I think of Simone Weil, who talks about uh, every, I don't know if every every is a big word, but acts of attention are acts of prayer, preparation for prayer. And so I'm seeing this acts of ruling is a preparation to rule our passions and to rule ourselves well, because I think that's the hardest part. Yeah. This innate desire, ability to rule can be taken and placed in the wrong places. Right When I try to rule my friend's toys. That doesn't work out so well.
0: Right. <laughs> and I think it, you mentioned it a minute ago, um, you know, what does it look like when it's familial rule? That's good. You know, a kingdom. Um, I think the bad version of that is where um, we get, you know, what we would maybe call nepotism right there. Are these are accusations of nepotism. People are getting power that they shouldn't have. Um, and we're not in a. We don't live in a monarchical Society, and so I think that's a, even uh, more often a a, um, a accusation when someone is you know someone works for the dad's company or whatever, and and the and the only way to get around it, the only way to to like keep those accusations from happening, is when the the child, the the extended, the extended rule of whoever started the, the thing, the company, the country is as benevolent as the it's benevolent for, it has to be a benevolent source to begin with. But so, so you have, you know, companies where that second generation has been good, been good to the workers, been good to the customer. They don't, no one goes, Oh, he only got that job. Cause he's the guy's son. Right. Because, it's treated more like, no, this was a good inheritance, right? He took over and continued the good works. And so no one questions it. Um, so it's so important to, to what we do with that that rule that we're given. Um, and for if we're thinking out that as, as Christians in this context, if we're talking about, we're we're ruling, or as humans, but in, in for, you know, and we're ruling as, you know, beneath the Father, beneath the God, um, that's even a higher bar, right? To to kind of have that same level of benevolence, which I think gets us right back to where y'all were talking about, that what this looks like is acts of service. <laughs> it actually looks like, but mm-hmm. not what we think of as ruling, but of going and doing for others, right? Uh, so.
1: Yeah, but we have to be able to rule ourselves. Yeah. To to think of another.
0: Yeah, I love that he goes back into like the beast inside, right? Mm before you can even really rule the beast outside so
1: so that's my positive that um, the way we help our students gain dominion over academics is preparation for them gaining dominion over themselves
0: Yeah I feel like even though they were addressed to his his congregation which would have been Christians, uh, in particular, these first three—the the two that are the two halves—the discourse on on human nature, basically, um, or uh, humanity, and then the one that's the, uh, God is not the cause of evil—they mm-hmm. um, feel more like they're answering a lot of uh, questions that are go that are, that come from even beyond the walls of the church, right? And so, um, one of the other things I wanted to sit with more is is Um, And he goes, he's, he's fleshing this out all throughout the third homily on on evil, but the most succinct statement that I saw anyway, was in part five when he said, so sin is evil in the proper sense. And it is especially worthy of the name of evil It is brought about by our free choice, since it is up to us either to abstain from vice or to be wicked. Uh, And like I said, he's unpacking, he's kind of unpacking all this all throughout this homily but what is properly evil, um, is when you're, you know, when you're, when you're having to wrestle with yourself or with someone else, you know, why do bad things happen? Why does God allow it? You know, all these kind of things, um, mm-hmm. to be careful that what we call evil we, is, is really properly evil, right? Sin, sin is what is properly to be considered evil. Um, whereas we, suffering or calamity or hardship is what we want to call evil and it's that's more a either an either a byproduct of the sin or a necessary corrective because of the sinning <laughs> um and so that those lines what I just want can't kind of dwell on you know that i have a proper perspective of what truly is evil in the world and by the way most of it's coming out of me right
1: yeah it's the things we do to ourselves and to others
0: Yeah.
1: And the perceived evil is the things we feel bad about.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. I love his one little six word sentence in that section. Stop being displeased with divine providence.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I remember you liked that one first time it came through.
1: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, it's a good line. (laughs) It just
0: wasn't, it just wasn't orange in my book. So I didn't go back to it. It's a good line. Yeah, uh, it's blue in mine. So I did mark it, but I was flipping around for my oranges for the thing. But yeah, more to think more about.
2: I can't find it now, but there was a line where he talked about having um, just as much zeal for virtue, a love of virtue, as a hatred of sin. Yeah, and uh, understanding rightly what sin is. Right that that evil um i can't remember which section it is but i really like that
0: yeah that's a good reminder
1: mm, yeah we need to it it was in the anger it's something in the anger because that's where anger is appropriate
0: oh i think you're right i think it was that next homily yeah
2: Mm -hmm. um yeah i found it on 89 okay it is necessary to have equal zeal for the love of virtue and for the hatred of sin. For this mm-hmm. above all temper is useful.
1: Oh, and it's interesting. Okay, remember I told y'all, so this is something I need to do and I still haven't done. That I read this this homily interchanging temper and anger, thinking they were the same. Until he got me to a certain spot when I realized, whoa, whoa. Those are yeah, not the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to go back. So here it is. Because I just used the word anger. With you, Patty, when you brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. But he uses temper. Temper is useful for the hatred of sin. Because temper is not useful elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm, like I don't, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And I think of anger, but I think the reason I went to the hatred of sin was anger is the, I don't know, Christian term, righteous anger. Yeah. And I don't think I, I, I know I don't understand that. Rightly. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. No, I'm angry. I'm not sure it's ever righteous. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: But like, this is something I long for for the church, Uh, for my family, for my church community, like that we would have a zeal for the love of virtue and a hatred for sin. Right. And to be able to speak out against sin and to speak out for the on behalf of others with love. Like it's a both and like that. Yeah. I desire that.
0: I think, I mean, I think as a as a society, we're quick to get our hackles up over injustice, right? We're very quick to to point out the the, the sin and to get to have that zeal to crush it, mm-hmm. whatever whatever you think sin is, like in, you know, wherever mm-hmm. whatever perspective you're coming from. Um, and much less so to praise, real virtue. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, where, where I am now, we have, um, they have houses at the school, you know, like just divided into you and they have house heads or whatever.
2: Yeah.
0: And if you, you know, if you're cutting up in class, you get sent, you can get sent to the house heads to kind of be talked to. And, you know, it's a good, it's a good system. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But they're also like really cognizant of, Hey, also send like kids who should be, praised like send us a kid and so it's a i really appreciate that because it's as educators for all of us i think you know whether we're homeschooling or in a school setting it's no problem to like stop the unrighteous behavior right the you know the whatever whatever we're perceiving as unrighteous right The disrupting the class or not doing the not taking the assignment seriously or whatever it is it's, it's a lot more effort to like be conscious about praising the virtue. Like when the kid does have those moments of virtue. Right. And so it, it's something really to be cognizant of as, as educators in particular dealing with the young souls, I think. Um, and then beyond that in the world around us, like, take the time to praise someone rightly, you know, it's worth it. So it's a good reminder. Thanks for pulling that one again, Patty. I, I, I should probably mark that one to remember myself. So,
1: well, okay, I want to keep going though, Brandon. So you've helped me see something. Um, you said, "Oh, well, we're quick to jump out against the sin," and I didn't see that. I, I'm living in the Pacific Northwest right now, and here, like, I, I went to an event. Um, for college with my son and they were telling everybody how I'm so glad you came, you know, you did such a big job just coming and being in the seat today. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> I'm going to stop there. That's enough of an example. Yeah. Um, right. And so I don't think that we're loving rightly what's worth loving in those. Right. Words.
0: Yeah. I was about to say. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so um, I, I, I find that we don't call out actual sin. Um, we're going to yeah. be very accepting of of lots of things and um, lots of people and lots of actions, um, and we're not yeah. going to call out sin. And I, I I think we miss that in each other. But we'll we'll call out problems in society at large or corporations at large. Um, but walking side by side with somebody and saying to them, um, "What you said to me was wrong." Or what you said to our neighbor was wrong. That's right? a good. Like, dist- we don't do that.
0: Yeah, that's a good distinction because I think we're probably quick to call out the sin in the other, right? So, for Christians, we're doing it to to the non Christians, right? right? For whatever, wh- whatever political or social stripe you are, it's mm-hmm. the uh, it's the other. If you the see side. someone doing that, you have no problem getting in someone's face and in an individual person, right? I mean. And,
1: Right, search. sure that represents that
0: right and so
1: uh that's not the sin that's not no, hating of, no. of the sin that a person does to right. themselves or to another person
0: and almost no one correcting within their own within their own community
1: right that's, like that's what i'm that's what i desire
0: like how often do you even see uh, someone uh, any any particular political party be like yeah, this guy in our party is wrong and you're wrong and you need to stop and you actually need to step down from your, you know what I mean? Like it's very rare.
1: Mm-hmm. Very
0: no. rare. Like but there it's has the same to be <laughs> families. Right, right. There has to be like a federal <laughs> indictment for it to happen in the, in the political
1: parties. <laughs> but, but like, okay, so if you think about this, the at the the government level, we don't do that with political parties. But if you go back to the family level, yeah. The, the alcoholic grandfather gets protected by the enabling grandmother. Right, and right, right. So the family covers it up. And there's a scapegoat in the family that gets blamed for whatever, and that's how the family functions. And so, why would that be any different at our political level if that's how we're living out in our familial levels?
0: Right, and we and we do it, you know, we do it by religious, by by religion. We do it by subsections of religion,
1: (laughs) right? Um, Right. And then you know, families and
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. and so that's a good distinction. We yeah, that we do need to also be have zeal for anger or temperament towards sin mm-hmm. um but uh, they, and then also for the virtues so
1: okay like, so I'm going to push this a little further so does that mean I'm I'm just drinking lukewarm water um
0: most of the time
1: yeah right so if I'm not calling out the sin and I'm not loving the virtue
0: yeah i mean that's
1: hating, right then is is that what I'm doing mm.
0: yeah i mean like i think a lot of us are just mostly trying to go through the day without too much conflict you know, what I mean? like, <laughs> And if you start, you start looking for virtue and looking for sin, you know, looking for mm-hmm. sin, you're going to get conflict. Yeah, even with the virtue, you're going to praise somebody and then people are like, what are you talking about? That's, you know.
1: Yeah. Cause I want that. I want that yeah. praise. I can give it to somebody else.
0: Right. So, so it's, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us are just trying to avoid conflict all day long. That's
2: mm-hmm. it. So. It takes a lot of courage to be able to call someone out on sin. Yeah. And it takes love, I think, to to praise and honor someone for their virtue genuinely. Yeah. Right? Not that, you know, I'm glad you showed up today kind of thing.
1: What? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like uh, writing your name on your paper
1: 100 points for writing your name on your right. Paper. right but that's not real love and kids know it mm-hmm. they know it they their knower they can't maybe name it right but they know you don't know me you don't see me you don't care about me
0: yeah yeah I, i'm all for encouraging people when they're trying and learn it's something new but your kid doesn't have to play any particular sport for vain, many seasons to not really want a participation trophy anymore. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. kind of like, eh, this means nothing. It's just a piling up of stuff. Right. And so, yeah, they get it. They know the difference. And so, yeah. and, and when it's something like, uh, when s- they didn't have to be something big, but when it's real, it, it means something. Mm-hmm. Like they have like little house points here too, right? So my daughter came up to me the other day and was super excited. She was like, Dad, I got house points. And it was because um, the teacher had, I guess either on the board or whatever, like written the problem out. And it was like, should have been a a bracket. He wrote it as a parenthesis, like whatever. And she caught it or, or something. And so it was like, oh, you caught the mistake, right? And I don't know. And it was, but it was like, just, just that she had gotten she was getting the concepts enough that like she caught the mistake, you know, just an actual mistake of being in, in writing something down Um, and was praised for catching it. Yeah. Like it was meaningful because it was real, right. It was a real, she, it meant that she understood conceptually what was going on in, in the math class. and in, in, in It's in important for her
1: to catch her own mistake. Like right. it's not just get it right. That's right. not just what right.
0: matters. Right. And yeah. so, um, those, When it's real, it it means something, even if it's small. And mm-hmm. so it's probably good for us to can like think even on something small, it's worth saying something, right? You don't have to make a big huge deal out of it, but when something small is done well to to, to recognize it, you know. So
1: mm-hmm. and Patty, you're right. It takes love to do that, to really love somebody, to pay attention to the small things that they're doing, yep. and to take time. Uh, energy out of ourselves to share that with them that's love that's how we love our students yeah
0: okay so we've mentioned several things about like things we're learning from this Mm -hmm. how to treat her again how to like learning that and then how to shape how we're teaching Mm -hmm. students or our children so i'm gonna gonna shift i want a little bit um Mm -hmm. it's a great book right It's 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 that's what we're doing over to classics is classics um i want to talk a little bit about like teaching this book like where uh when would you think do you think you should introduce it with students how would you go about maybe approaching teaching this book um because it's you know it's not narrative it's not really history it's really more in that uh, theology it's at the you know it's in the in the theology realm it's um so yeah any, any thoughts? I'm like, let's start with when. How old? How old would you? How old would you teach somebody?
1: Okay, well, Patty was going to speak, so she gets to go first. Yeah. Well, for me, just
2: the thing I was pondering, like what we are and why we are, is an age-old philosophy question. So I would see that more of high school, you know, okay. looking at the philosophy, the theology of who we are, right? What the human being is. What is our purpose?
1: Mm -hmm. And so my head went somewhere else. Like I wanted to say, okay, where, where are the things that we've discussed here embodied in a story? Okay. So that when we are chit-chatting, like, you know, we've already come up with my neighbor and um, how I've mistreated my neighbor and, you know, familial, right. We've named these things, but if we actually had a story to embody these different things, I think that would help. Um, So oddly enough, this is not a classic but I have you all read East of Eden by Steinbeck.
0: That's one I haven't read yet.
1: So no, I need to read it. So my I go backpacking with teenage to, to the they're late teens early twenties now <laughs> they, they they're growing up and um, we all bring a book when we go backpacking and we take time like hours out of the day to sit by the river or the lake or wherever we are and we read yeah yeah and one time when the young ladies with us she's like oh you got to hear this and she reads a line and it's so good and so okay great we hear her line and we all go back to our own reading not too long later oh you got to hear this and she reads us another line and we chit chat about that and then we go back to our own reading and then she reads us the third line and so finally then my son he's like well why don't you just read us your book and so she just started reading that book and then we're going to bed and she's reading us that book and we get up the next morning and we're reading She's just reading her book out loud to us. And we took nice. it on more than one backpacking trip to be able to finish it. Um, and so maybe I enjoyed the book because of how I experienced the book and where and with sure. whom. Um, but I I think it answers, the what we are and why we are <laughs> and like people embody it um, there. So that's the one that comes to my mind. You know, would I, I teach this one in a unison with a, a fiction? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the
2: creation is helpful. Like, there's aspects of that you can teach even to younger students. Maybe not, you know, reading it aloud, but because <laughs> he's he says in it the first discourse, um, the prelude to our creation is true theology. So if we're going to be practicing, like you were talking about, for them to rule, we could mm-hmm. start with little chunks, mm-hmm. even with the younger ones. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good. Like excerpts of it little readings of it for the younger and then maybe come back with it later. Um, mm-hmm. I know uh, my son Hawk will read some, at least some of these, I'm not sure if they do the whole, but some of the homilies next semester as a freshman in college. Um, but that's probably because of where the, where it lands, um, in, uh, historically. But, um, I think, I think even with the full text, I'd be pretty comfortable with, with high schoolers because St. Basil's style is so straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there's not a lot of depth concept conceptually to dig into, but like the language of it and the, and the. The, the arrangement of it is is um, it is like I said yeah pretty clear right it's it's um, I think it would work well
1: um, Well, thinking about like Aquinas when you read him you know one whole paragraph is one sentence and that I remember my high school right. reading that and right. uh, I had to sit down with him and read it aloud with him and help him find subject predicate <laughs> right. And here's all the clause, you know, like the phrase, clause clause clause. clause, clause,
0: clause, clause. Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. So
1: whereas this, you don't have to do that. Yeah. It's not easy ideas, but what the structure it? at least is approachable.
0: Yeah. Was it just discussing? Oh, I was discussing, um, epic similes with Hawk the other day. I was like, yeah, you know, in most translations, it's, it's one long sentence, maybe a second follow-up sentence, but a lot of clause, there's a lot of clauses in there, mm-hmm. um, in the translations that I think are good and not the ones I think are not good, but that's another, that's a conversation for another time. Um, (laughs) But the, um, but anyway, that's where I think, yeah, but this is more, it's written more in that kind of boom, boom, boom style. And so it's, even though there's a lot in there, it's in chunks that are easy for them to kind of grab a hold of what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Um, But partly the reason I think I want to do it in high school, yeah. It's part of my second part of follow follow up with this. Like, is there anything so I don't know if either of y'all have done this or not? I've I have for different classes, um, after reading Gibbs's book, Something They Will Not Forget, kind of created that class catechism where you're drawing from things you're gonna read that year um as part of it. Not that's not the whole mm-hmm. thing. And um so like is there is there something in here like you know, the concept of that is like there's just thing I want them to of mem- almost mm-hmm. memorize by accident because they're just saying it every day. Mm. that they're going to hold on to forever um you know uh, are there things in here that you would want to pull into something like that for a for a student even if you weren't going to read it with those students but like there's something in here
1: yeah uh, page one (laughs) one section one our mind does not see itself otherwise than by examining the scriptures for the light reflected there becomes the cause of vision for each of us
0: good
2: there's I remember that. one on page 35 too, but in what is the ruling principle, and the superiority of reason? Hmm. I like that so, the idea of a catechism.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. I, I did. It, I have students again this year, so I, I, I had to kind of go through the exercise of creating it again. It has been it's, it's it's a good exercise to think through. Like, what do I what am I thinking that's important for this uh, coming out of this year? They really walk away with. So, I. Thought of this question because I had, um, as I was kind of going back through my highlighting, be mm-hmm. uh, I have several sections that are like it's probably way too long to all be blue, but I couldn't help myself. You know what I mean in this one.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: and the opening to um, homily on the words "be attentive to yourself" mm. is that whole kind of discourse on the purpose on the purpose of language. And so I'm I'm gonna read it because um, I think it could be like you could even break it into like a couple of questions that that these are then the answers to you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, it says God who has created us has given us the use of language that we may reveal the plans of our heart to each other and through our shared nature we may each give a share to our neighbor mm-hmm. as if from from some treasury showing forth mm-hmm. our intentions from what lies hidden in our heart. For if we spent our lives with naked soul, we would immediately communicate with each other through our thoughts. But since our soul is concealed under veils of flesh as it produces thoughts, words and names are necessary to make public the things lying in the depth. Accordingly, since when our thought takes meaningful voice, as if carried in a ferry by our discourse, crossing the air it passes from the speaker to the hearer, and if it finds the sea calm and quiet, discourse comes to anchor in the ears of the students." as if in tranquil harbors untroubled by storms. But if as a kind of rough upsurge the clamor of the hearers blow blows adversely, it will be dissolved dissolved as if as it is shipwrecked in the air. Therefore make it calm for the discourse through silence, for perhaps something may appear useful, having things you can take with you. The word of truth is hard to catch and is easily able to escape those who do not examine it attentively. So the Spirit directs that it it be brief and modest to signify much in a few words and through consciousness be easy to retain in the memory for indeed the excellence proper to discourse is neither to hide the things signified in obscurity nor to be redundant and empty turning all in all directions while overflowing randomly and i think i just felt like especially if you're getting to do like the same students like in your Humanities, or great books, or whatever you call it, where you're reading lots of texts and then discussing them, uh, like Socratic or seminar, Socratic seminar style, and then you're also getting to work with these students on their writing, their their rhetoric about things. That there's just so much in there, right? For like, here's how we should have discourse. Like, when someone else is speaking, you should be listening, right? You should be listening well. You should be giving them, you should giving them the gifts of silence. That's because and uh, anyway, I just thought like you could do so much with that with high schoolers who are really having to learn how to be in discourse and how to then communicate through the written word or through uh, oration. Um, well, and so like that section was like, this would be so much fun to kind of break into some catechism questions and, and have those be the answers. So
1: and Brandon, I love it. Like, thank you the section you chose it also gives us an analogy
0: right yeah that great metaphor in there yeah so good
1: ah. mm. yeah there's a lot in here thank you
0: well we've been talking for a little while but i wanted to we have a a question on here um that i wanted to just talk to because we you know we mentioned when we first started that this was not like one single text that St. That Basil wrote. Um, these are mostly homilies, uh, a letter, and then some part of his rules. Um, so the translator really chose what to put in here and and uh, then label on the human condition. So my question, I guess, would be, you know, what's for each of you, what's the best way for you to kind of see the through line that this, in, that this translator was thinking of? Or what's, why these together uh, on the human condition as you look at it? Or look back on it, I guess, after having read through it and discussed it.
1: What what thread holds them together?
0: Yeah, wh- why these things, and then having it called on the human condition, like how these kind of go together. Right, the first two are both are, are part one to part two, but then you have things about anger, things about evil, things, you know. Um,
1: and it to yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my first thought, and you can change my mind. Is- <laughs> It's well you did with the catechism. So the my first thought here is that they all speak to how to live well, mm. right? For if I can really understand the difference between anger and temper,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. if I can know, if I can hate the sin, right. and virtue, um, if I can attend to myself, if I can um, rule where I ought to. If I can use my body to serve my neighbor. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that's living well.
0: That's good. I like that. I like that as a through line for tying these together. Um, and certainly fits with you know, the human condition, right? That the, the living well. Patty, what are your thoughts on?
2: And I keep going back and forth because I see. I understand how they picked each each section. It makes sense to me Mm. that um, I think if I had to tie it together, probably understanding the human being inside and outside, where he Mm. talks about the things of the flesh, Mm -hmm. right? So how we were fashioned, anger, how to live with other people, and then the priorities of the soul. And what that looks like and nice understanding that
1: mm.
0: I like that a lot. Yeah, the the and again, how to live in those two things, right? The realities of both things that what they're not going away.
1: Inside and the outside. I like Yeah, that. yeah.
0: I was um, for me, the first two homilies, just the kind of unpacking of Image and lightness as two s- distinct things, which I, k- I kind of knew but not really, was so eye-opening for me. Reading this, that it kind of stuck with me through the rest of it. Like I was just wondering, like, and so, okay, w- because he kind of kept returning back to that. um The images, like you, you are, you, you are an image of God. That that you, you're made that way. That's who you are, and so you have this natural bent toward wanting to do something good, like that our nature in that sense is, is good and divine even. Um, But, but then he, then he does talk about the being formed and out of the dirt. And so they are also made out of dirt. Um, But the likeness is the becoming, right? That's the, it's the, that's the, you have to be doing the things to be like, like Christ or like God. And so the, that, tension and that understanding of our creation that he really unpacks so well in the first two homilies. Um, that's what I was just kept thinking about all the way through. And I think he holds, I think he keeps returning to those at least conceptually when he talks about what's really evil and what's really good and what's, what's anger and what is its proper use and its improper use. Um, uh, I'm forgetting something now. Oh, uh, no, what's the last one? Knowing you not knowing yourself.
1: Attending to yourself.
0: Thank you. Attending to yourself. Right. Although the one I was just quoting the huge thing from the front, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, yeah. And so it's that, um, yeah, attending to both those things, right. That remembering that I am in the image of God and that there's, that that's a huge honor. Right. And then, but also that I, that I have work to do and, um, yeah. I just want to return to this book. <laughs> I think the translator made wise choices. You know, I think this was a great collection. Um, I'm really thankful for her. I think she passed a few years ago, but I'm really thankful because my life is better having read this. I think so.
1: Read. Yeah. I really so, enjoyed it as well.
0: This has been um, lovely. Thank you both for joining.
1: Thank you, Brandon and Patty. You've both helped me see things I wouldn't have seen without you. It's been fun to be on another one. Thank you for having me,
0: <laughs> yeah, we're glad you're available and here with us. Next, we are moving on to uh Plutarch in particular the lawgivers, which is a uh, which is um the life of Lycurgus of Sparta and Numa of Pompilius. um You can obviously read those in any translation uh, along with their comparison um but the loggers is the the particular uh one that Searcy has published uh, that was translated by uh, uh david and scott c hicks the, hicks, the brothers hicks yeah. and it's fantastic it has tons of great like maps and images and little notes on the side um and it's just a really really pleasant and readable translation as well which was their kind of their whole goal bringing it into a more um you know modern vernacular I guess to some extent um it's one of my son's absolute favorites he loves uh, mm-hmm. he loves these guys so um but I'm looking forward to it uh and I think we'll start with the uh the first part of that the life of uh of Lycurgus of Sparta mm-hmm. it looks like it's 70 pages but really it's only like 35 pages because. You know, there's all those maps and images and whatnot on the other side of the page. So shouldn't be too bad to get through. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and uh, and we can discuss it next time. So hope all of you out there will are listening will join us. Um, Andrea, what's, what's going on at at Cersei? We've been talking about some things that are like right about to happen, but that's probably going to be a little late for those. Um, once this, this one airs, what's kind of coming down the pike at Cersei?
1: Well, so while next week, this weekend, is the regional conference in Georgia, we're also preparing for our next conference, and it's new, and it's not truly a conference. It's a symposium, so the format symposium. Um, We encourage you to try out this new format with us uh, to where we've made the topic um, logocentrism, and you can send in, uh, I forget what it's called, but an abstract of mm-hmm. your ideas for a paper on it. And then if you're chosen, you can develop that into a presentation to give at the symposium. And four people will be put together to present on Logo for various reasons of what their abstract, you know, revealed. Um, and then after each of the four presenters present, the room can ask questions and engage with those authors. Um, and so uh, after that, all the presenters will be contemplated uh, for publication in the next form magazine after that one. So um, it's a neat thing and we'll have um, D.C. Schindler will be there um, and uh, speaking directly, you know, with our audience on his ideas. So I'm excited to see that happen.
0: Yeah. There's even an, an opportunity if you want to, if you want to respond to, I think one of his recent, one of his books um, that you can, you can present a response to one of his books and then he'll respond to you, which is like crazy with someone like really? D.C. Schindler. So like, what a cool opportunity. Um, and this is a format we kind of um, in, in small form played with, with some of our, with the apprenticeship graduates we've gotten together in the past. And it's a really a cool opportunity to kind of present an idea that you've really fleshed out, but didn't present a shortened version of that. And then have the discussion. Um, so for people aren't familiar, this is kind of, what happens at academic conferences. Uh, but those are usually limited to very specific field you have to be in and you have to have, you know, either a grad a postgraduate or a PhD to even to even participate. And um so she's really opened the doors on that for everybody to kind of be part of the conversation. So it's pretty, pretty cool, uh unique event. Just like so,
1: our conferences, right? Yeah, our conferences, yeah. We want everybody to come to the conversation. And so we've done right. the same thing with the symposium.
0: Yeah. Same, same, same um our same environment in our same community, with a, in a different format, really, and so pretty exciting stuff. I'm, I'm I'm pumped about it. So it's pretty cool. Well, they can you can find that on the website under events, and you can see where to like submit your um, your uh, proposal there, and I'll I'll try and drop a link in the in the show notes too. But that's a pretty cool deal. Awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. and so the the nice thing is you don't have to have your whole paper written by now, but the right, 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 you need this month. Um, so.
0: You yeah. Time to do your homework. You have to just tell the teacher what your homework is going to be. That's all.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Really well Good. said.
0: I like it. All right. Well, thank you all again uh, for joining us this week. Uh, we hope that you will join us again for uh, Plutarch next. Um, you can send any questions or comments to podcast at SearcyInstitute.org. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei
1: Podcast Network.